And now, time for News with My Dad. A show where we talk about the news with my dad. And on the air now, coming at you live, playing the role of my dad, is in fact my dad, the star of our show, Joe Smith. Pop, how you doing? Well, I'm feeling proud for you riding the bike this morning. You know, it was, it was, I, I, it was the nick of time. I left, so I'll tell you, I, I tried to last time, and I realized I had a flat tire. So then I, uh, I had to get a bicycle pump. So I got a bicycle pump. And then I realized I didn't know how to fill a tire using a bicycle pump. And Dad, I don't know if you do either. They're, they they have new new valves. And I was like, I kept pumping it, and it, it no air would go in. It's like, what the heck? But, you know, thankfully, there is a thing called the Internet. And I just Googled, how the heck do you fill up a bike tire? And I scrolled around a little bit. I watched a video like, oh, there's a little extra little deal you got to do. And then you pump it up. So then I got, so then I woke up this morning, I pumped up the tire. I started leaving, I was oh, both tires are flat. That's what happens, you don't ride your bike very much. And then I pumped the other one up and realized I knew about how long it took to get here. And I said, okay, I can make it by just about a minute. And I did. And that's the story. This is a show we talk about the news. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff when it's unimportant, we try to say so. We take turns. Dad typically takes the first turn pop. Do you have a shout out? I do. I have two shout outs. First, I want to shout out for Palm Beach County, Florida, or I should say the, the governing body of Palm Beach County, Florida, who, when Governor DeSantis ordered flags lowered to half-staff to mourn the passing of Rush Limbaugh, said no way and left their flag at full staff. The idea of lowering the flag for Rush Limbaugh, a purveyor of hate and lies for decades. Well, anyway. You know, something I, I did, you know something I didn't remember about Rush Limbaugh? That he used to uh, he used to read off names of people who had died from the AIDS pandemic uh, over disco music. And, you know, kind of like, hey, 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 bye, bye. And yeah, I, it's it's figuring out the best way to talk about someone like Rush Limbaugh is something that is up for discussion, but half staff does not seem warranted. Keep going. And the other I want to shout out for NASA and the folks at NASA and for Percy, who pulled off a seven month trip and a successful landing and the beginning of a 10 year study that will Ten years from now, bring back actual stuff from Mars. Quite remarkable. Quite remarkable. Well, Dad, this is news with my dad. We do have the Johnson Johnson vaccine to talk about. Maybe a little about the Attorney General. Also, we've got a bill through the House. Where do you want to start? Well, I think we good place to start is COVID. But I'm wondering if maybe you shouldn't report because I know you're an expert in this area, you should report on the Golden Globes, just so we so we don't... Oh, that. I didn't watch the Golden Globes. You didn't? No, I didn't watch the Golden Globes. I had homework to do. I've gone back to school. I had to oh. study. Well, well, great Scott. 
<laughs> if you're going to have... That's if, a straw in the wind. If you if you want me to report on a thing in particular, just send me a text. Hey, will you like cover I the just, Golden Globes I, tomorrow? I was just that's okay. We do not have to talk about the Golden Globes. Let's talk about... Nomadland. Okay, I'm looking it up now. Nomadland was uh, the best picture for a drama. And I do have a comment about Nomadland. I didn't watch the Golden Globes, so I can't comment on the show, but I, I've seen the best picture... Uh, for a drama, it is it is a remarkable movie. The acting is remarkable. It is a uh, sort of quasi documentary. Uh, Francis McDormand plays, uh, you know, acts the role of the leading character, who uh, lives as a van van bound Bedouin around the country. Uh, the the controversy about the movie I think is worth bringing up. Okay, and the and the controversy is that in the opening scenes, a powerful opening sequence. And it's her working at an Amazon fulfillment center, okay. And and it looks like a pretty gritty thing. And I, I, my the controversy is that it gives too much of a soft glove treatment at Amazon. And I understand that critique. When my wife first saw it, she was like, "Well, it, I looked at that and it didn't make me like Amazon." But as we discussed it and thought about it a little more, here was sort of the beat. So the first thing was sort of, okay, it's sort of a gritty place. It's not really a job everybody would want. The second thing was it shows a scene of them, of the workers like around a little circle, like sort of in their opening day scrum, their morning standing meeting. And say, okay, let's have a super safe day, everybody. And there's a little bit of laughter, a little bit of fun. Looks like a little bit of community. Uh, that's sort of the second beat. And then the third beat is she's out at a sporting goods store or something so at some store, and somebody runs into her. And she said, are you you working over there at at, uh, at Fulfillment Center or whatever? And she says, yeah, Amazon. And then she says, good money. All right. Now, I, what I really want to know is I want to know the terms of the deal with Amazon. I want to know if Amazon paid anything for the movie. I want to know if there are any promotional considerations. I want to know if it was just the cost that, that script approval or at least script review was required before they let the film into the fulfillment center because let's be clear about one of the things that does happen with funding of funding of movies and it's one of the things not nearly enough people talk about the funding of movies which is nefarious product placement and i don't just mean they're drinking a coke or driving a corvair i mean smoking in movies and television you're not allowed to have ads that show smoking tobacco helps fund a lot of hollywood projects and there is no rule that requires disclosure of this. And there ought to be a rule that requires disclosure of this. And the, also this, for all we know, I mean, this is brilliant Amazon propaganda, to be clear, because it's believable, because it doesn't, it doesn't start with like, oh, you know, happy, happy, joy, joy, just in song. It starts with this gritty image. You're like, oh, look, this is the truth of Amazon. But the truth of Amazon is, according to the movie, three beats. Tough job, community when you're there that cares about your safety, and third, good money. If I am the marketing department for Amazon Fulfillment Centers, those are precisely the three beats that I want the world to hear. Precisely. I don't want them to first hear a beat that's like, oh, no, it's an easy job that everybody would want. I want, no, not everybody would want it. And then the other two beats. And I want to know if what the considerations were for that Amazon piece. I don't think it takes it away from being a great movie. I think it was a great movie. But I do think there is a policy question about how big works of art slash propaganda are funded and how the people should be aware of that fact. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not too bad for, for my Golden Globes take without watching the Golden Globes. All right? So there you go. You listen to news with my dad. Radio is yours. Boom. The thing, the thing that you mentioned, that smoking is the classic example in the starting starting in the 30s and well well into the 50s 
Hollywood consistently had their most attractive actors and actresses smoking. And always they always only showed them smoking at the beginning of the cigarette. They never showed them smoking down to the butt, which doesn't look nice. And, and they created this mystique around smoking, which murdered, murdered thousands, probably millions of, of people around the world, especially millions of Americans. And, and there, there really ought to be a rule. Okay, should we talk a little bit about more COVID? No, I'll, I'll jump back in, by the way, because this, this is a trigger for me a little bit. The, it's in movies, basically any time you see Anytime you see smoking movies, it didn't end up there just because some scriptwriter thought it was a neat idea. Okay, when in Avatar, Sigourney Weaver demands a cigarette. When Mad Men smokes their way through uh, through board meetings, th- those might or might not be interesting manifestations of art and storytelling. They did not happen for free. And now there is a study that does demonstrate. James Sargent, associate professor of medicine at Dartmouth did uh, did find now they have confirmed the data that it does it has in fact increased smoking means the fact that tobacco companies do that and the fact that filmmakers do it and the fact they don't disclose it is literally and has literally killed people all right go ahead covid okay covid of course the the, the big thing is uh, there's now a third vaccine that only takes one shot that may not be quite as good in preventing sickness altogether, but apparently does very well at keeping people out of the hospital and keeping people alive. And the uh, the challenge to get scheduled for a vaccine, I don't know how it is around the country, but it's pretty tough in Oregon. The, it, my, uh, as you know, I'm on next door. The, uh, the sharing thing for, for, for neighbors and in all my experience with Nextdoor, there have never been anywhere close as many entries as the ones for people complaining, especially old folks people complaining, that they aren't able to get a, an appointment for the vaccine. The, uh, but uh, there is a prediction that everybody may be able to have a vaccine by the 1st of July, you uh, you're going to be among the last because they they now say people over 45 can get them but they have to have pre-dis- pre-conditions and I, I'm not aware that you have any precondition that would allow you to get your vaccine no anything that would allow me to to jump the line would probably be on the margins and it seems like other people need it more than I do yeah an interesting a very interesting thing is that whether it is whether it is causative or just correlative or just coincidental, but flu is hugely down. This is the flu season, and usually... Oh, well, we know why. And well, there, the, their speculation is it because people are wearing masks? Yes. It's because they're social distancing? Yes. But the other possibility is that the flu virus may actually be attacked and overwhelmed by the COVID-19. Well, that would be, it would be interesting. It does not surprise, I mean, if somebody would said, hey, will, will flu cases be up, down, or stagnant? 
think anybody paying attention to anything would have said they were down. As to whether or not they're responsive to the COVID vaccine, well, I have no idea about that, and that's interesting. Dad, did, is, you, did you catch any, or any, you have more COVID? Oh, yeah. There is so excited. much that we don't know about COVID. One of the fascinating things, which is, is uh, brought out in the current New Yorker, is the fact that internationally, places where you would expect it to be just about the worst, it has been remarkably good examples. In Mumbai, the uh, ages, the largest slum in Asia, the Ravi, where a million residents live in shanties, and they expected they would have all kinds of deaths, yet by midfall, only a few hundred reported deaths. The reported death rate in India, which has 1.3 billion people and a rickety public health infrastructure, roughly tenth of the United States per 100,000. In Nigeria, population of 200 million, reported death rate is less than a hundredth of the use of, of the U.S. rate. Now, there are lots of reasons. One, there may be underreporting. It may be also because uh, the the median age in those countries is substantially lower than in the United States, and we do know it goes after old people, but but couldn't possibly explain all the in Pakistan. Population of 220 million was predicted to have as many as 650,000 deaths. So far, it has reported 12,000. Côte d'Ivoire was predicted to have as many as 52,000 deaths. By mid-last month, it had reported less than 200. And, and, and nobody knows all of the reasons why. You know, there's speculation, could a combination of things. But, but there's just so much that we do not know. Well, something we... By the way, to our listeners, if you are really good with navigating your way around the net, there are a lot of old folks out there who are not so good at that, who need help in trying to get scheduled for their vaccine. Look, Reach out to folks, offer to help those folks. I am lucky, of course to have a son who is good at it, who did it for me, and so I've had my first one, and I get my second one uh, next week. I'm looking forward to that. Well, Dad, did you watch any of CPAC? I did. Well, here is it. I watched much of DDT's speech, and of course CPAC, it just turned out to be obeisance, obeisance to Trump. They, that's what it, they. Everybody was there to kiss his ring and kiss wherever he wanted them to kiss, and uh, they had two straw poles. Well, hold on. Before you report on it, I'd ask you if you watched it, and I was assuming you'd say yes, I did, or no, I did not. And then I'd say, well, good, because we have something to talk about. And my feelings, and as an introduction to our discussion of it, why don't we play the rendition of the national anthem that, in fact, happened at CPAC? 
And if you want to understand the respect for America that organization had, if you want to share my feelings with that event, you can listen to this particular rendition, in fact, sung at CPAC just this weekend. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Blessings, my brothers and sisters. You better not screw this up, man, okay? Starts out good. Who's brought stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight? Oh, the ramparts we watch were so gallantly streaming, and the cheering a little bit. We got through it. And I just want to say, oh, I just want to say, it may, have, it may have felt disrespectful to America. It is not our disrespect. It, singing the song as a dirge might have, in fact, been fitting for what they're attempting to do and have worked on doing to the country. But, Dad, that is my introduction to our discussion of CPAC, the conference this week. Oh, wow. I, I, the only part I got what happened was I did not watch television during the day at all yesterday. And I just went down in the evening to check the late news, and I thought I would check CNN. And CNN, sure enough, they had DDT speech. I didn't catch all of his speeches, the last part of it, but uh, but he uh, it it is just so depressing what has happened to the Republican Party and to its being captured by a narcissistic liar. Just. Trump did carry 55% of the vote for the straw poll. Yeah, I was a little surprised it was only 55%. And the, inter- the interesting thing to me was, and this may just be because the, there were more Floridians at the conference than anywhere else because it happened to be in Florida, but Ron DeSantis came in second 
to him in the one that he was on that he was on it and in the poll that they had where he was not on it got nearly half the vote yeah it's home, I, I, home field advantage it doesn't surprise me that much but yeah trump did win the straw poll also though uh, i don't know if you noticed for those who followed the claims that barack obama was the antichrist look up actually what the antichrist was about for those who are interested in that sort of thing. And then also recognize that there was a golden idol that was brought out in CPAC emblazoned with Trump's face or Trump's visage turned into a golden statue. Uh, in other news, there was Adam Kinzinger started a new super PAC for a post-Trump yeah, Republican Party. Uh, one of 10, he was one of 10 House Republicans voted to impeach Trump. Meanwhile, the press is falling over themselves to uh, to try to rescue the Republican Party from themselves. And he's long advocated for Republican Party to distance itself from Trump, started a pact to support Republicans who have gone against Trump. Uh, unlike traditional pacts, the organization can accept unlimited and secret contributions. So he is uh, positioning himself as a voice of reason in the party, uh, but it doesn't... Uh, but, you know, we don't exactly know who's going to be funding this stuff. Let's look around the world. Dad, what do we know around the world? Well, I am really sorry that our international correspondent, Tim Markraft, can't be with us this morning because the news out of France today is that the former head of France, Nicolas Sarkozy, has been convicted of corruption facing at least a year in jail. And I really would like to hear what Tim might have to say about that. I hope we get him back next I, time. I, I am told we're not supposed to talk about the things that we don't have on a show. Like, it's generally, it's kind of like having a production meeting on the air. You don't say, I really wish we had this awesome guest to talk about <laughs> the following things. But I guess we're stuck with just us. So now the show sucks, but let's do it anyway. Myanmar. The protests in Myanmar, eight people killed by the military, but it hasn't succeeded in reducing the protest. The protesters are back out. Facebook has banned the military of Myanmar from participating on Facebook. That there is there's some, some really significant stuff going on there that uh, that, that is, is something to watch. That people are, are not being cowed so far, and we wonder how far. How far will the military administration be willing to go? How far will the will the grunts in the military be willing to carry out orders, which inevitably they are going to be carrying against against their families, against their friends, who are out there protesting? Something really, really interesting. The United Kingdom is almost off of coal. When you think the United Kingdom, of course, has lived on coal for so long uh, and suffered from it, the, when, when your grandfather was a student in, in uh, Great Britain, the, uh, they would have fogs that were so bad people would get lost just trying to get down the street because of coal. And they're just about out of coal. The, not because they've been successful completely in getting to renewables. Uh, natural gas is the big, big one, but but nonetheless quite significant. Uh, 
the the India and Pakistan have agreed, let's hope this agreement sticks, have agreed to stop shooting at each other across the border. It, uh, it just, it's just been kind of something for the military of Pakistan and India to do when they didn't have anything else to do was to lob some shells across the border between the two countries. They've agreed to stop doing that. That, that could have some huge significance, and we'll be interested to see how that develops. Uh, I would be interested in what our listeners have to say about some of this. One example, what they have to say, airstrike against some uh, allegedly Iranian-supported organization at the Syrian border, which uh, we launched. Uh, uh, It strikes me that's got to be an act of war, and I don't uh, recall any authorization for it. We, uh, the perhaps the most ignored provision of the Constitution, that the, two, the the Second Amendment supporters screamers never take a look at, is the provision that says Congress is, has to declare war. Not not so far. The. Uh, and while we're talking about Iranian-backed who's organization, we? go ahead. No, I just said, who's we? Keep going. Iran has said no. They don't want direct talks right now, which will be something to watch. Hong Kong. Hong Kong is just despair was happening there. Reports are that all of the progressive activists are now either in jail or in exile, and the, the new law that has, has been passed that requires anybody wanting to run for office in Hong Kong has to swear fealty to Beijing. The uh, Hong Kong has, has been a beacon of hope for so long in Asia, no longer. And then something something I really would like our listeners to chip in on, and I'd like to have your thoughts, is what the United States should do with the report that has now been published that says Saudi Arabia and its de facto leader, Ben Salman, MBS, was responsible for the murder of Khashoggi, that MBS had to have approved, if not directed, at least approved the murder of Khashoggi, Khashoggi is the pronunciation. And in so far, we have not announced any sanction against him or whatever. We've we got to do something. We just cannot, we can't let that go, I think. What are your thoughts? The, if you look, if we look at our international relations, first of all, I mean a couple thoughts, I guess. One, the uh, we are back to normal, but normal isn't all good. Normal includes living in a dangerous world. Normal includes application of military power. Normal includes rampant oligarchy. 
oligarchy. It, uh, n- normal includes huge wealth disparities. Norm- normal includes a fight against climate change. Normal includes diminishing middle class. Anytime people during the pandemic were saying, oh, I hope we get back to normal, like, well, well let's, let's, let's get a little better than that. Let's do a little better than that. It is when we look at Jimmy Carter tried to take a crack at a new way of thinking about foreign policy and using a lens of democracy and human rights for applying favors internationally. The true, the, the, military apparatus, the intelligence apparatus, wasn't a big fan of that. And we can remember how that that oil prices and a hostage crisis ended his presidency along with interest rates. And if they're, you know, the kinds of decisions that real deep power can influence, they include things like oil prices and what's happening with intelligence negotiations and what's happening with interest rates. So there is a... It's a fraught, really, really challenging area that has been forever. But now in defense of the status quo, trying to apply a lens of, well, good, nice countries that nice countries were good to and mean countries not good to. The definitions of nice and mean are pretty hard. But, yeah, there's got to be there's got to be some punishment. There's got to be some punishment. There's got to be some reaction. I agree with you. But when we're, once you get embroiled in the Middle East, as we've said before, it's not, you know, the, the, the nice ones, who are you going to who are you going to cuddle up to? What ally is going to be in that area of the region? What what ally is going to be all squeaky clean? I don't know. Probably nobody. Uh, I don't know if you had further thought on that. I want to move back to national news. Well, the uh, I, I do have a couple of thoughts. First, of course, is just underlines how how much oil still dictates the foreign policy of this country and, and really the foreign policy of countries around the world. And and I am aware. I I, I read the the Club of Rome's book uh, about. Uh, about the future, the limits of growth, shortly after it came out back in 1972. And in the, the thesis there was that dealing with exponential growth, they ran computer, they, the computers of those day, that age, of course, were near, nowhere near as sophisticated as ones we have now, but they ran computer tests and every computer test they ran on the the prevalent the the availability of natural resources showed an eventual uh, a raise a raise 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 and then a very very sudden collapse and the the early 20s was when it predicted those collapses would start unless things changed. It wasn't saying it was irrevocable, but things had to change. At at some point, at some point, whether it's this decade or the next decade, but at some point there is going to, we are going to come up to the fact that we've used the oil, that the oil is going to be gone. I don't see anybody planning for that. I don't see anybody relating to that. 
One thing I'll applaud the uh, current administration on is that if we think, and it's an old debate, we've forgotten some of the longstanding debates because we've all been distracted by a crazy man in the White House, but the, uh, but the debate about how we engage in foreign policy and how it intersects with our energy policy and how we could actually have a, uh, actually have a jobs policy in this country that was focused on renewable energy and on energy efficiency and on retrofitting our school buildings and our homes in a way that is 21st century worthy now that we're 21 years into the 21st century, or at least 20 years, depending on how one counts, uh, is a good reminder that uh, Andrew Cuomo has been accused by two women of sexual harassment. He denies the claims. There is an investigation. Virginia has legalized recreational marijuana. Now we can go to Virginia. Uh, I guess we probably could have already. Uh, 30% of the cannabis taxes go to a fund for communities historically bore the brunt of marijuana policing. It's interesting. Uh, and governors are beginning to ease COVID-19 restrictions despite warnings of a new spike. How are you feeling, Dad? Are you feeling like, this is a question I wanted to ask you during the COVID piece. Are you feeling that we should be uh, relaxing COVID restrictions, hustling kids back to school, and the reason that people aren't back to school is because uh, is teachers have lots of power in Salem? Uh, or are you still thinking we should be kind of locked down? Where, where, where's your spidey sense at? Well, I have a couple of observations on that. First, this reminds me to observe that that the Republican senators in the Oregon legislature staged a walkout to protest the governor's rules on COVID. And this is at the same time when Eco Northwest published a study which concluded that because we have had intelligent rules and a remarkable remarkable compliance of Oregonians with those rules, despite the politicization by the Republican Party and specifically the Republican members of the Oregon Senate, that those rules have, have saved at least 2,000 lives. And that suggests to me that we need to be very, very careful in in lowering the expectations. I think I think we should hang on, hang on uh, a little bit longer. A lot, a lot more people get vaccinated. We people should be continued to to wear to wearing masks in crowded places. Uh, people should continue to be socially distancing. People should be continuing to avoid events in closed areas where there's not good ventilation in close proximity with other people that's that's my thoughts and and there again would be very interested to hear what our listeners have to say text line here is 971-220-5979 971-220-5979 article on opb's website that republican lawmakers are leaning toward in oregon the party is embracing the far-right approach confronting the reality of extremists and anti-democratic voices within their ranks. And now, in order to demonstrate some ability to get crowds to show up to stuff, they are relying on some of the same kind of folks who organized January 6th. A memorial service was held this weekend for Genoa Donald, second black man to be killed in Clark County. Uh, dad, downtown business were vandalized by some demonstrators on Saturday. We've had plenty of conversations about that, but I want to talk a little bit about the legislature. Okay, but before you do that, you cut me off. There were two other international things that I think should be mentioned that people should be aware of. One is that Navalny has been 
sentenced to three years in Siberia. Uh, the word is not, they haven't used the word Siberia, but the description of where he's going is clearly Siberia. And, uh, and uh, it's pretty clear that Russia hack of solar winds was indiscriminate and disruptive. And last 60 minutes had a thing on Assad in Syria and the crimes he has committed, the, the the gas, all the rest, the there there is something else where where the international community at some point needs to hold him responsible. Okay, go ahead. Why don't we take a quick break, and we will figure out what we're going to talk about next. When we come back from that break. You're listening to News with My Dad. Thanks for doing that. This is X-ray text line nine seven one two two zero five nine seven nine nine seven one two two zero five nine. Got a couple of texts in. Nice one from Aileen. Good topic today. Who butchered the national anthem? I didn't look up the name, and I'll tell you one reason why. One reason is laziness. But the other reason why I decided not to overcome my laziness was because my point is not to call out that person. My point was to make a little joke and, you know, poke fun at CPAC, but not to shame somebody for missing some notes. We've all had bad days. Uh, got a question in what classes? I, uh, I am studying management in the context of clinical trial and cl- clinical research. Uh, it's a you know, sort of intersection of science and regulation and law. Uh, my what I specialized in law school was was health law, and I have trying to trying to brush up my and sharpen some of my knowledge set. Uh, got a got a note from Phil. Oh, Phil says welcome to bike commuting, Jefferson. I once had three evening com- one, I once had flats three evening commutes in a row. Good for you for doing this. So, so Phil, if you, I would actually be interested, and maybe it is even interesting to others, but I'd be interested in what you did about those flats in your three evening commutes in a row. And did you just keep a, did you keep a patch kit? Because I don't know how to do that. Or did you just have like one little hand, uh, a little hand, what do they call it, pump? Uh, or did you, I don't know, take an Uber? I, I, I have questions. Because to be clear, I, I, I I'm not yet sort of a born again Christian on this, right? The I, I don't I don't 
hold a lot of, I, I don't prote- protest a bunch or pretend a bunch of moral authority on the question, but there ain't no question that if more of us got off our duffs and rode our bikes around, it would be way better for each of us, way better for the world. Uh, and, you know, so not yay me because I do it once every once in a while, but yay to the bike commuters out there. And if you can figure out how to listen to the radio when you're on your bike, good on you too. And to your car commuters, thanks for listening to X-Ray. Dad, where do you want to go for next? What, for, for what it's worth, and I'm going to, I'm going to brag a little bit, uh, I began commuting to work on my bicycle in 1967 and in Pendleton I commuted to my law firm and then I commuted to district attorney and then when I was working for the speaker I I rode my bike from my lodgings in Salem to the Capitol every day and then when I was working for the regional commission in Vancouver I commuted on my bike to Vancouver every day and I, I feel I was a little bit ahead of the curve on that, and I'm delighted that you are now doing it. Well, downtown businesses have been vandalized by some demonstrators. I mentioned that. But Oregon lawmakers heard bills about education expense transparency. Three bills got talked about at the House Committee on Education last week. Each bill seeks to increase awareness and transparency on fees that students are expected to pay. House Bill 2919. And by the way, everybody, the reason I say the numbers, because you can go and you can Google them, you can look up the bills. It's real easy to track. You even track when the hearings are going to be. You can track amendments, although those usually happen pretty fast. It's a way for the citizenry, for human beings to get more engaged in their government. I'm telling you, you could have influence if more and more people engage in what was happening in Salem. And you don't even, this time, you don't even have to commute to Salem to do it. House Bill 2919 would require public institutions to show the cost of materials like textbooks at the time students sign up for the classes. As a local-income student on a full-ride scholarship said, a student advocate, I've had personal experiences struggling to afford textbook prices that I wasn't prepared for. House Bill 2542 would require Oregon public universities to display mandatory fee prices and show where the money is being allocated. House Bill 3012 was scheduled to be heard last week, was rescheduled March 4th due to time restrictions. House Bill 3012 clarifies the autonomy student governments have in collecting incidental fees from student bodies. Uh, to be clear, a couple of these are interesting. The uh, One of the long moves by conservative campus organizers, okay, including a guy who ended up working for, that I knew, because he, uh, I don't know, because he, he, had a well. The reason I knew him was he had a crush on my high school, on my on my college girlfriend, uh, and the uh, and he was what was his name? I remember his name. And he ended up going to work for. He went to work for Condé Nast. He was like a writer, and he wrote for like the conservative, uh, wrote for like the conservative magazine. And one of the big things, and then he went and worked for. Uh, did he work for Bush? He worked for a. He w- then went and worked on the Hill for a conservative politician. His name was Owen Brennan, and he uh, and and one of the things they worked on the conservative movements back then were trying to push against student fees, basically trying to train students to be anti-taxers, to be anti-government. Uh, and there was this big thing, because very often those student fees go and fund like student groups, including a lot of the, a lot of the BIPOC-led student groups. And that ends up being a, a kind of a political football in the small world of campus politics. And I find it interesting that these, uh, these bills, that, that the couple of these, House Bill 2542 on the mandatory fees, uh, and the uh, and on the student governments and collecting those incidental fees, 
that overlaps with movements that the right wing was pushing, right wing supermovement was pushing for a long time. But now so, uh, some progressives have piled on, and it looks like maybe the straw that broke the camel's back was the athletics department proposing a thirty dollar fee for incoming students to attend sports games. Well, yeah, to, to go, you got to pay thirty bucks to go watch your 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 peers play basketball. Yeah, uh, we got uh, we got a note. Uh, several bad land use bills. Listeners can call a thousand friends of Oregon. Uh, annual sessions. It, it is a, this is an important point. This is an important point from the listener. The, the, the text in here is, I hate annual sessions because bad things happen twice as fast as they used to. It gives lobbyists too much power. Now, the good news of annual sessions is that hopefully our budgeting will become less silly. Okay, Because budgeting for two years is twice is more than twice as bad as budget as budgeting for a year. It's really inaccurate. Underlined, underlined by the prediction that we're going to have to give back half a billion dollars with for the kicker this year, which just is so incredibly stupid. No, the timing, the timing of this, it's always ridiculous, right? It's always like we're facing budget cuts and we have to send kicker checks because you know things are leading or lagging indicators. There is a real need. There is a real need to figure out citizen lobbying structures and actually make sure the people have lobbyists. Some of that can happen through organizations. Of course, the organizational landscape now is largely occupied. I mean, it's a, it is a somewhat monotheistic culture. I mean, you have your you have your corporate lobbyists, and then you have your coterie of your coterie of sort of liberal organizations that kind of walk together. And if you're trying to do something that's a little independent, if you're trying to do something that is, I don't know, campaign finance reform. We're trying to do something that, that uh, even some, you know, uh, on some of the police accountability stuff. We're trying to do stuff that is, uh, that does not already have an interest group. It is challenge is more challenging to find purchase. And when there's only one big session, you sort of organize around that time. But when it's always happening, things can sneak. So I do appreciate that. We haven't done that analysis enough on the air and talked about it. And I will say that people engaging in the legislature, figuring out who your legislator is holding people accountable, not just holding accountable, but particularly showing, helping them show courage and thanking them when they do and paying attention for doing that. Dad, what do you think about the new beer and wine tax proposal? It's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely ridiculous. Talk about something that was dead before it was born. It's gotten it's gotten maybe more press than it deserves, but in a town that brews a lot of beer and and stirs a lot of wine, do you stir wine? Sure, uh, crushes a lot of grapes. It's bound to get some attention. But yeah, you want to tell people some of the facts? Or you want me to? Well, go go ahead. I don't have the figures in front of me, but it's the <laughs> it, the the proposals are are astronomical increases. So the first thing people should be aware of is that Oregon has the among the lowest taxes on beer in the country. Okay, we well, got... Which is a legitimate reason to make some sort of increase, but these ones? Wine is... to it, We got $2.60 a barrel. Wine is taxed only 65, at only 65 cents a barrel. The... Uh, and and it's been going... And I remember... I remember... Heck, I remember Kitzhaber speaking at the Hilton, at the State of the State Address, and in the Q&A session saying that, you know, sort of poking Paul Romaine, who's been a longtime lobbyist for the beer and wine folks, uh, and saying, well, listen, the, the people, thing that people are most concerned about in the state isn't sort of their level of, you know, the, you know nickel or two more on, their, uh, on a cost of a beer or a bottle of wine. Uh, and, but Paul Romaine has successfully kept down 
uh, beer and wine taxes. Uh, but now the uh, the proposal, House Bill 3296, would increase it from $2.60 to $72.60 per barrel. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the wine from $0.65 cents a barrel to $10.65 uh, per barrel. The wine went uh, maybe a little bit less crazy. Not less crazy in terms of percentage, but a little less crazy. Uh, Sokol Blosser, they're... Uh, there and know that that's connected to uh, the the uh, Blosser, of course, is the husband of now working the Biden administration was the governor's office. Her husband, Deborah Crafori, is county chair and one of the rumored potential candidates for governor. Uh, the president of Sokol Blosser Winery said that bottles of the company's wine would be raised from eight dollars to twelve dollars. So, you know, that matters. But it uh, I, I want to find a credible number on the beer. Of, I mean, it, one guy said it was going to take a six-pack of beer. Uh, it was going to increase the cost on a six-pack of beer by five dollars. I do not. I would like. I would like proof of that number. But uh, but regardless, here's what it reminded me, Pop. What it reminded me of was ten years ago. Our friend Ben Cannon. I mentioned this on the local, but uh, but uh, our friend Ben Cannon was in the legislature and he put out a beer and wine tax. And he did the thing that very often you're advised to do which is you start your proposal at a level higher than you intend so that you have room to negotiate. So the people say, oh, that seems a little too high. He says, okay, well, to shave it down a little bit. And then in the negotiation. Yes, that these proposals are leaving a lot of negotiating room. A lot of negotiating room. But it backfired for Ben. And it taught me a really valuable lesson, that there is a challenge with that move, which is when you're Paul Romaine, what you did, was then you floated that number, you used that number to gin up all of your clients. You got every brewery, you got every distributor, you got every drinker of wine, you got the, the people who wrote blogs on this stuff to go, oh my goodness, that is way too much. And they didn't come to the negotiating table. So there wasn't a compromise, nothing happened at all. I, it almost made me think that if you just started, I'm just going to propose one penny. I propose one penny a barrel. People are like, oh, that's absurd. Why would you only do a penny? I was like, okay, okay, let's do more than a penny. And then negotiate up from a penny. But start at a level that is, uh, that is not as likely to gin up opposition. Because if you did it a penny, it'd be sort of funny. And then you do an amendment that raises it to, you know, a dollar or whatever the heck, uh, per barrel, to be clear. Or do it per bottle. Because it's, you know, $72 tax, it sounds like a lot. But I don't even know how much a barrel is. But if you did it on, a, if you did it on per bottle, you just said oh, 25 cents or whatever it is, you know. Uh, the uh, that 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 might not be as that might not be as sticker shocky, and that but if you start at a penny, right? Then everybody's you know romaine synthesizing. They're proposing a new tax that's a full penny. And like, really a penny? Like, well, don't worry, it's a it's a camel's a camel's nose in the tent. They're going to raise us, yeah, but it's a penny. They might not get us ginned up. That's my idea for the morning. I don't know. I don't know what the, you faded out, Pop. I don't know what a barrel of wine. You faded out. What? You faded out. You know, I wish I could understand why that happened because I don't do anything. Uh, I'll, I'm going I'm to talk while we get that figured out. Uh, Nora the polar bear has got a full home makeover while she was away. Nora left the Oregon Zoo for Utah in 2017, returning next month. It's a good thing, too, because we're losing the red pandas. Polar bear space has been turned into a new exhibit called the Polar Passage. New space represents the zoo's commitment to conservation research and animal welfare a focus on increasing scientific literacy. I'm not sure exactly what kind of science they're going to be teaching the polar bear, but apparently can emphasize the polar bear's scientific literacy. Oh, wait, maybe they mean us. The old exhibit had not been updated since the 80s. New Space gives four 
Nora, excuse me, four times as much space. Two saltwater pools where visitors can see Nora swim above and below water. Love seeing a polar bear swim. Renovation funded by a $125 million bond passed by Portland voters in 2008. Don't worry, I don't think the polar bear habitat costs $125 million. The exhibit will also allow visitors to get a glimpse of some of the conservation research work being done by the zoo. New exhibit opened in mid-April. Pop, are you back with us? Do you hear me now? Oh, there that, that got better. Not at first, but then you did something. Okay, well, uh, it, 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 there's, there's, a, there's a ghost that somehow comes and goes, and when I have done absolutely nothing. Anyway, you mentioned, you mentioned encouraging people to speak of where legislators show courage. I'm going to give you an example with someone who I think has to be credited for showing courage, even though I think he's dead wrong. And that's the vote uh, in the House on the $1.9 trillion Support Act. There were two Democrats who voted against it. All the rest of the Democrats voted for. And did you did you catch who one of the two was? Was it was it Schrader? It was. So you're you're calling Schrader's voting against the one point nine trillion dollar COVID package courage? I have to say it's. I I think it's probably an act of courage. I think I think he's acting really because that's what he believes is right. I disagree with him on that, but but when you're just one of two that goes against your caucus, and and although he's probably has kind of a purple district, I think it's it's getting bluer all the time. I I don't think he can be criticized for for going against his own principles. Well, I, it's a good it's a good question. We're talking about Kurt Schrader. Kurt Schrader, early Saturday morning, was the only Democratic member of Oregon's congressional delegation to vote against Biden's new pandemic relief bill. It was nearly a $2 trillion package. The House did vote to approve it. And Schrader, one of the two Democrats to oppose it, second was Representative Jared Golden, the Maine, no Republicans voted in favor of it. That, of course, means and includes the newest member of Oregon's congressional delegation, Cliff Bentz. Uh, it includes $1,400 in relief for most Americans, as well as extra aid to schools and businesses, also extended unemployment benefits. Uh, hope, Democrats hope to have the relief bill approved by mid-March. Uh, Schrader also voted against a bill that would have increased stimulus checks from $600 a person to $2,000. All right. So... Uh, yes, some courage in uh, yes, some courage in on Schrader's part in going against his caucus. Uh, he recently, of course, uh, law you know the he owes some of his success not some of his success he owes to significant inherited wealth, uh, which helped him. He also owes some a bunch of success to Mark Weiner, who uh, who threatened those you know it was he was kind of a scary guy to run against and uh, and Mark Weiner. Uh, was his, the political consultant that pushed him and crowded out of the Democrats from the primary in, in previous years and would beat more progressive Democrats in the primary against Schrader. That I was I was looking at that vote and I was wondering, it might just be, you know, he had no political consideration. Just like, hey, I'm a deficit hawk. I'm trying to find opportunities where I can demonstrate that I'm a little bit kind of a different Democrat and there's not that many chances to do it. And this is one of the chances. And I do believe that a lot of it is a, a lot of a, a vote like this, a lot of it is that sort of optic. That when you're trying to, 
demonstrate your differentiate, you know, to differentiate yourself. You're trying to be a your own breed of blue dog that, you know, you need to look for chances. And this could have been a chance. Here's another thought. Do we while we're talking about we're could, talking about could, what's happening on Capitol could, Hill? Could I, could I finish? Could I finish my thought? Oh, sure. Go ahead. I thought you were done. Uh, the uh, let me remember what I was going to say. Uh, here's a, here's another thought that do we think that his district will be the same shape after redistricting? Do we think that Kurt Schrader will benefit or otherwise from the way that the districts are drawn? And do you think he is aware of that? Also, do we think that we are, are we confident that he is going to continue to serve in Congress? Are we confident either we win a Democratic primary or the Democratic primary would look tough enough based on, depending on what the district looked like, potentially, that he might decide to hang him up? And if he did hang him up, what might he do next? Would he come back to Oregon and live on a farm? Might he stay in Washington, D.C. and peddle influence? And if he peddled influence, well, maybe maybe demonstrating bipartisan cred could help him a little bit as a lobbyist. Anyway, those are some of my thoughts. But you wanted to change the subject. Yeah, go ahead. Well, the other big bill that passed the House was the Equality Act. And, and that is something which I think justifies some, some really careful thought. There, there were three Republicans who voted for it. Uh, the uh, House Democratic Caucus, I believe, was, was unanimous. But its prospects in the Senate dim there is some thought, however, that if they were willing to compromise to allow some religious exemption, some religious belief exemption on the Equality Act, that it might be able to get through the Senate. And, and I think the idea of religious exemption should not be simply rejected by those of us who want to see the act passed out of hand. Because as, for example, there were, there were leaders of 1,500 Jewish communities, Jewish congregations, who wrote a letter saying that we, that you, you really, the act as is written is going to require us to violate what we believe we are told we must do in the Bible. Things as simple as having having separate seats for for men and women, and while while I do not support, I, 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 it makes me sad actually, that churches may have those kinds of rules. Nonetheless, there, there is, there is a, an argument to be made that, that uh, you're really constricting their freedom to exercise their own honest beliefs. And it, it's particularly, I think, uh, underlined by the, by the dispute over whether or not transgender folks should be allowed to compete in the in the in the uh, sporting events of the gender with which they identify, uh, not the one that they were biologically born to, and that too is complicated. Of course, what what that is 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 there women who are saying it's not fair for transgenders who were born with male plumbing and who identify as women to compete against us. And I have to think, it, it really probably wouldn't have been fair for Bruce, now Caitlyn Jenner, to have competed against 
uh, in women's events. It, it 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 is complicated, and that that again, I would be interested in in uh, input from my listeners. Well, we got a couple texts in. One was, how do we uh, lobby against that proposal? Didn't specify the proposal. If you mean the beer one, don't worry. That one is lobbying against itself. If if you want to if you want to lobby for something more humble and you do think that we should move somewhere closer to the national median on beer and wine taxes, which would go a fair measure if you directed that money to alcoholism treatment and other treatment, it would go a fair measure to address not only substance abuse but also address homelessness, right? Because those those overlapping issues matter a ton, and it's really hard to address homelessness without resources to address addiction. So if you want to do that. I think the most effective thing is to reach out directly. There's a couple moves. Uh, one is to reach out directly to your own representative and say, "Here's here are three things I care about. I hope you work on them. Or you just send them out and say, here's a thing. I hope you're tracking it. I was paying attention. And it's not too hard to find your legislator if you just Google it. And I'm going to Google it right now. Oregon legislator find. And it says, Oregon legislator, legislator find your uh, representative, and it's at Legislator Lookup, Oregon State Legislator, which is OregonLegislature.gov. But even if you can't remember OregonLegislature.gov, all you have to do is remember anything about the name of your state or the kind of political body and go in and enter on the internet, and then it'll get you, and it'll also get you their contact information. You click on it, and it'll also get your email address. You can email them directly. Another thing to do is you can go and find the uh, the committee hearings and you can in fact sign up to testify citizens can sign up to testify and i'll tell you very often on many bills the only people testifying are the paid lobbyists it's one of the reasons why they pay lobbyists and if there were good intrepid kyk listeners or they're good intrepid x-ray listeners who went and paid attention and lobbied on bills i'm telling you it would really matter going to congress and doing it that's it's you know it's kind of hard to have it have it has big an impact but you go to your city, or particularly if you go to your state, I'm telling you, you can have an impact. You can be heard. Uh, Dad, we, we're losing our red pandas, I mentioned it. Did you ever see the red pandas? You could have gone to the zoo. I'm not understanding the question. Red pandas. Red pandas. Oh. Where, did you, have you, when was the last time you went to the zoo? No, I, I, I'm, I confess total ignorance. When was the last time you went to the zoo? Oh, boy. When was the last time I went to the zoo? I think the last time I went to the zoo may have been when uh, my family gave me a birthday present to hear Joan Baez in, so, the, in the park. So a few weeks ago. It was more than a few weeks ago. Okay, it was a while back. All right. Well, May May and Pabu were our beloved red pandas, and they are heading to Montana. They're going to Zoo Montana there, you can go. The last day to visit them is going to be Sunday, March 7th. That is this weekend. So oh, wow. if you want to see May May and Pabu at the Oregon Zoo and not have to go to Montana, you better hustle. We got a text. And, oh, go ahead. And, we're, and we're, we're getting the polar bear back. We're getting the polar bear. And, and of course, like they recognize, right? It's like... A, they recognize that stars drive movies. They recognize that hit songs drive record sales. They recognize that uh, if you go to Panda Express, you know what percentage I am told people order orange chicken at Panda Express? I haven't a clue. It's like 90%. <laughs> it's right? like just about everybody that goes to Panda Express gets the orange chicken. And so... 
but it's not as cool. Basically, now I once I learned that fact, I realized okay, so what they just decided not to call themselves Orange Chicken R Us because people like to think that they have choices and that they have variety and that they, they they won't just go for the nearest batch of fat, salt, and sugar that's the sweetest and the fattiest and you know the scrumptiousness. And the uh, so now we know that hit songs drive record drive record sales. I remember the lawsuit that I watched uh, when I was when I was clerking in the Ninth Circuit and. Uh, and it was the Everly Brothers were suing, I think it was Everly Brothers, and they were suing, um, was it Michael Bolton? I might have the bands wrong. But anyway, uh, and, and they did an economic analysis of what one hit song meant to the record sales. You know, the record had 10, 12 songs on it or whatever. And it was like 73% of the album sales were, were attributed to that one song. Some huge percentage. So I, I, we know at the zoo what they do. They've got the star, right? got the star Red Pandas. And they time that. And when they know they're going to be getting up the red pandas, they got to time that with the arrival of the pan of the of the polar bear, right? So you got to make sure the orange chicken is still there. You got to make sure the hit song is still there. You got to make sure the star is still in the movie. All right. Hopefully, people understand my analogy. You know what I'm saying? Uh, did you notice, Dad, that construction projects are down? Yes, I did see that. There's, there's, there's not, not going to be so many cranes for a while. What do you think? Well, the uh, it makes sense. Uh, the, we, we may actually be a little overbuilt right now because the, the building that's going on was anticipating a lot of people needing office space, uh, for one thing, and COVID has definitely reduced the demand for office space. Indeed, it has. Uh, and I'm now even wondering, like, how the head of, the head of Goldman Sachs came, hey, everybody, don't get, don't get too fall in love too much with your home office. We're going to be going back to the office. We're going to be going back to work. And I'm wondering how many offices are going to try to stick with some degree of distributed work. I know that lots of people need to get out of the, uh, the freaking house because they share their home with, uh, with a partner, with a roommate, with a, uh, with a spouse, with children, with pets, whatever. Others really like avoiding the commute. There's also productivity questions. Uh, but, yeah, that will mean that, uh, that obviously will have an economic impact because that drives a lot of jobs when you do big construction projects. And I'll bring up again that you remember when we discussed on this program, you can say program if you prefer, the green jobs bill uh, initiative that went to Portland voters about two, two and a half years ago. Oh, yeah, vaguely. So that got a little controversial and the Port of Portland tried to push against it after the fact. And it you know included attacks on on high revenue uh, on sort of high revenue businesses to fund retrofit projects. And my take, one of the things I like, it was not one of the things they campaigned on. One of the things I liked about it was it was counter-cyclical stimulus. All right? I don't know if I just coined that phrase, but I'm going to say it again. Counter-cyclical stimulus. So often what happens, right, is there's, a, there's an economic downturn, and we say, hey, everybody, uh, we got to do something to make sure people go back to work, and let's borrow some money. That, of course, jacks up the debt, because it doesn't then become very attractive to pay off debt when the times are good. Okay, it is attractive to spend the money when times are bad, but it's not attractive to pay it back when times are good. And related to that is our massive debt. It's also nice. Republicans like to cut taxes for rich people and it's a fun thing to do, but they don't like to then figure out how to pay that money back and balance the budget. When we have good times, if we use those good times to do things like it, that's when that was passed was a time of economic prosperity, uh, relatively speaking, not for everybody, big wealth disparities, but they passed that. And I said, you know, the good news about that is by the time that starts getting rolling, 
because it's not going to happen right away. And part of the problem of the countercyclical, the, the, the on cycle, what normally happens with stimulus, is, okay, we're going to do big jobs, everybody's going to build a big, bunch of big roads. And it's like, okay, then you get the money moving, you get the bill passed, you get the plans done. And by the time some of the projects get going, economic winds have changed. The good news about this was now some of those green jobs things, they're getting rolling now. And I think they're going to provide that juicy, juicy, sweet, sweet counter cyclical stimulus that I love so much. Sorry to be so nerdy. What else you tracking, Pop? Well, I think it is worth mentioning that uh, tomorrow the Supreme Court of the United States is going to be hearing arguments on voter suppression legislation. That's something to watch and kind of scary what they might do. I, I, I want to comment on what's happening with the cabinet nominations. Jennifer Granholm who has made it for energy. Uh, Deb Holland is probably going to make it, although she's been named a battleground because she thinks that alternative energy is a good idea. I, I, don't, I don't think the nominee for the budget director is going to make it. I think that uh, because of Manchin, and I doubt that they'll be able to get any, any uh, Republican votes for her, but that's interesting. Uh, so Neera Tandon, you, let's pause on Neera Tandon. What do you think is going to happen with Neera Tandon? I, 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 don't think, I don't think there are going to be 51 votes. I don't think there are going to be 50 votes because they have to, 50 would do it because the vice president could then break the tie. White House has vowed to keep fighting for Tandon despite slim approval chances, it says here. Here was I, this is something I was writing over this morning. I did want to ask you about. I remember when I was a kid that you said, "Well, you know, my impression is once some. My impression always was when I worked on the hill, when I Joe Smith, my dad worked on the hill, uh, that once somebody went to become a paid lobbyist, they had pretty much decided they were ending their political career." It now seems we looked at appointments in the Trump administration, and it was essentially a revolving door for lobbyists. And I think you meant electoral careers. So it's a little bit different. But, the, but here it seems to me, as I look at Neera Tan and I look at Van Jones, it seems that being a paid lobbyist is not, some, in fact, engaging on controversial issues. In fact, having been paid to engage on controversial issues on behalf of clients does not seem to be a disqualifier. But being outspoken on television about it seems to perhaps be something that does put one at risk. Am I remembering your analysis correctly, and do you see any parallel? Yeah, I, I, I did used to think that, and I think it's less so at the national level. I think it is still, still pretty much so at the state level. Here's the, here's the reason I don't, I don't think so as much. And even some examples, like Jennifer Williamson paid lobbyists before, they, before she got elected. The, uh, the champion right now, the person who's running uh, redistricting, also the champion of people-driven campaign finance reform, Andrea Salinas, a member of the BIPOC caucus, she also was a lobbyist before she ran for the legislature. Uh, it does not seem to be disqualifier. I think that money in politics has become such an assumed thing. And Andrea Salinas, by the way, Andrea Salinas is one of the finest legislators in, in our country, as far as I'm concerned. But the... Uh, but the influence of money becomes such a presumed thing. The political power through institutional resources has become so standardized that it's not frowned upon as much. But being a being a public target, being somebody that uh, that you can send out an email alert that Trumple Stillskins can send out an email alert and say, oh, near attendance, she's hates blank, whatever. 
and then raise money off of that and then try to get a news cycles around that and then get Joe Manchin scared about that. All that, that ends up being, I think, a bitter, bigger political football than someone's paid lobbyist work. Anyway, that's my hot take for the morning. I think I think that also though there's there's some correlation with who you're lobbying for. I think somebody who is who has been a lobbyist for some organization that is looked upon whether from the right or the left, but looked upon as as a grassroots uh, y'all come organization, as opposed to for a particular uh, economic interest. I, I don't, for example, I don't think Paul Romaine. Could get could get elected to the to the Oregon legislature. I, I, I just doubt it, and because everybody would say, "Oh, that's the, that's where the beer and wine folks will have their their legislator." That's always been the assumption. But I'll say one of the examples I gave was just a straight up contract lobbyist for a contract lobby firm. So yeah. the uh, so it's uh, and so you might well. I do think it could be a headwind. But anyway, that's my thought. Uh, so I, I think it's worth mentioning. Did you catch that the U.S. Navy, because I got it. By the way, by the way, I got one. I've got to address Pop, and we've we've talked about it before. But it's when we've got it, we've got to um, uh, we got to get ingrained. It says here it is. First, I am trans identified. My community is trans or transgender, not transgenders. Next, after ten years of hormones, my physiology is nowhere near as robust as before the therapy started. I could elaborate. However, I will leave it at that. Thank you so much for your text. We appreciate every chance for us to try to get uh, to get it right. And Dad, that's one that's one to that's one to remember. It's come up before, but the trans community or the transgender community, uh, not transgenders. Okay. No, it, it may seem like a small point, but imagine that's your life. Imagine it's the the, the, the mom of the kid that uh, that came by our house, who's recognizes it every day. Uh, that, that every day her kid wonders if the world loves her and uh and her her now trans her her trans daughter and came to our house thanking thanking us about the stop trump thing and the reason that one was moved to come and knock on a stranger's door and say thank you was because she lives with the reality every single day that uh that her daughter wonders if she's in danger and wonders if she belongs and wonder if the world loves her and that her daughter uh, lives with feelings that are that if we can't relate to it, it's because of our problem of compassion. So, so not to not to knock you. You're you're a loving person, doing your best. We're all doing our best. I screw up all the time, uh, but the but I do want to give I don't want to give short shrift to that note. I really want to appreciate it and hear it. And I, I the text line in here by the way is nine seven one two two zero five nine seven nine nine seven one two two zero five nine seven nine. I love my dad, and we love the listeners as well. Uh, dad, the uh, uh, data centers in Hillsboro. Have you been paying attention to data centers in Hillsborough? No. This is an issue. I don't think anybody has. Are you vaguely aware of why Intel is located in Oregon? Of why? Yeah. Well, they uh, they were given some real tax breaks. I know. That was one of the reasons. Uh, there, there are few. Apparently, there are few reasons why Intel, why Oregon is attractive to Intel, right? And one is Bonneville Power. Right, it's cheap electricity. That's a big one. Another oh, yeah, that, that that is a big one. It's a big one. Another was ready access to uh, another one was ready access to a lot of water to cool the chips. Okay, because chips get hot and you got to cool them, and water's the best way to do it. And we got a bunch of water, so another one's water. Another is access to cheap farmland. 
right? Q alien K saying, yeah, I don't want my farmland going to, you know, like, like business parks on my farmland going to farms. And that's why thousand friends exists. But the, uh, so another is access to cheap farmland where you can build, you know, like the, if you took a footprint of the land that Intel uses in, uh, in Washington County and put that footprint downtown, it's just a fraction of the jobs per acre that Intel uses, right? It's not, it is not efficient use of land per person, but it's a lot better than what I'm about to say. And that is now we've got these data centers and they're pushing for them in Hillsboro and they're really attractive, except guess what they don't have? They don't have jobs because all they do is house servers. They're all, they're all the reasons why Intel would like to have, uh, would like to go to Oregon. It has all, it's all those same reasons. And, and for Oregon, it has things, it sounds kind of good. Oh, well, let's get a data center, except you don't need very many people there. You don't have people to invent the ships. Chips, you just have people like, a couple people like, watch them. So anyway, I, I think we should be paying attention to data centers. It's not yet in the big media, but I just wanted to put it on your radar screen. We've got a few minutes left. What are the other big stories you want to make sure we cover, Pop? Uh, well, I just want to mention that uh, because of uh, the participation of people in the military uh, in the riots on the 26th, U.S. Navy is requiring everybody to retake their oath to support the Constitution, I think is interesting. Some national news. I am surprised that there has not been greater attention paid to this letter that has come out about the Malcolm X murder, in which the letter writer, who is now dead and who didn't want the letter published until after his death, says that that uh, he, because of his position in law enforcement, was aware that, the, that Malcolm X was murdered by a combination of the FBI and possibly the CIA. If that's true, that strikes me as being huge news, and I'm surprised it has not got more attention. It hasn't gotten enough attention. Uh, Texas, this is a speculation I have. Texas, because Cruz went to Concon and because their AG, Ken Paxson, went to Salt Lake City, instead of sticking around and trying to help with the huge environmental crisis that affected Texas. I'm wondering if the the storm the, might change Texas politics. That's something for us to keep. No, our... that's a good note, Dad. That's a good note because already tex- the Texas demographics are changing, right? And Texas is already becoming becoming a purple state uh, again. You know, it used to be a democratic state, but that was you know, before the Civil Rights Act and then also some, some lagging indicators there. Uh, but that's a really good note that here you have in high relief. I'm so glad you brought that up in high relief. Two things, right? You have uh, th- these huge cold snaps that are hurting Texas in particular because of failure in it, it just rampant privatization of their energy infrastructure and a failure to invest in new energy infrastructure. And that flies against two things. One, it suggests climate change is real because the reason they're getting these cold snaps is because of some stuff happening in the Arctic that's all happening because of climate change. And second, the reason it's impacting them so much uh, on their power grid is because they have privatized so much and because they haven't invested in public infrastructure. And yeah, demographics might matter more, but it, it, it doesn't take very many percentage points for Texas to, Texas to flip. And the Republican leadership, particularly the governor, uh, tried to blame the whole thing on renewable energy, which was just a lie, 
And two years is long enough for people to become aware that it was a lie, because all the reports show now that, no, no, it was not the wind farms. It really was the natural gas and producers that had had not weatherized, had not taken the warning of the storm that wasn't anywhere near this bad, but 10 years ago still bad, that, that, that they needed to act. Very, very interesting. And while we're talking, by the way, about on this subject, there's a study that uh, is, shows that of those who have been arrested for the January 6 riots, there's a significant correlation with folks who had have had many wars, past bankruptcies or past foreclosures or being named as defendants in suits, economic suits. Very interesting. Something that uh, that is just so depressing to me and I think has to be related to DDT's Kung Flu and the China virus. Vandalism against Asian businesses is way up. Uh, and vandalism, of course, is justified by some people. There's a guy named Alex Wagner here in Portland that, that justifies breaking windows because he says, oh, no, that's, that's necessary to get change, which I totally disagree with. The, uh, um, and did, did you catch, did you catch that Ammon Bundy has, is forming people's rights organizations all around the country, there are armed groups that are on call for if you think feel threatened about something, you can call these guys who will come with their guns to protect you. That just scares the what about me. Now, I'm about to be a major Second Amendment supporter. Get ready for this. A well-regulated militia. Okay. If you're a Second Amendment supporter, what you support is a well-regulated militia. You know what that's different then? It's different than calling a bunch of friends saying, hey, everybody, get your guns, and if there, something happens you don't like, come with me and we're going to do something about it. That is not a well, that is a not well-regulated militia. Listen to your Constitution. Read your Constitution. It very often is a helpful guide, particularly for one of the people who pretends, who, 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 who suggests that, who says that you worship at the altar of either a golden idol or even just the Constitution. Happy birthday to Cody Goldberg, who is uh, who put together a wonderful nonprofit. Happy birthday to Rabbi Josh Rose, Dad. You knew his dad, Manny Rose. Happy birthday to artist James Westby. Uh, also to Leslie Pang. It is about time to wrap, but I should say that you got your straw in the wind. And before we do that, Jamie Herrera Butler has been censured for her vote. Did you catch that one? <laughs> No, but it, it would be it would be strange if she were not, because all all of her all of the folks who went with her uh, went, have been censored. So why should she be why should she be any different? But uh, and I suppose that she might be at risk in a primary. If I would have to say that if they were success able to successfully. Uh, primary her and get rid of her 
that would be the, she would be the last Republican elected from that congressional district for a long time. Well, I think the most important thing I think the most important thing will be the district lines, and that of course is happening this year. And so she's going to be running in a slightly different district. And ten years prior to ten years ago, that was very much a swing district and had been represented by a Democrat. They drew the lines to benefit Republicans, and that allowed her Butler to maintain a not a big lead, but a sufficient enough lead that even a very strong candidate with Carolyn Long, right, had a hard time uh, had a hard time winning in that district. Hera Butler probably has an eye to that, that she is likely to get a district that's closer or less favorable to her. And so maybe the primary isn't her only concern. But yeah, the Washington State Republican Party publicly rebuked Herrera Butler and members of Washington's Clark County Republican Party voted to formally censure her. I didn't know that was what a local party could do because she uh, because she voted to impeach former President Donald Trump. Well, Dad, is it time for a straw in the wind? Well, if you say it is, then it is. Like a straw in the wind. Two straws in the wind. First, Rebecca Wright, 18-year-old woman, girl, whatever, is the first female Eagle Scout in what has formerly been known as the Boy Scout. Well, it is the Boy Scout, but it's anyhow Eagle Scout woman. And the other, Big Oil is really investing in offshore wind. And one example, BP is putting so many windmills out in the Irish Sea that by 2030, it will have more windmills than it has oil rigs. That's a pretty significant straw in the wind. By the way, the Boy Scouts program is becoming Scouts BSA. I think that happened just last year uh, to reflect the, uh, the change in the organization. I uh, also want to say thanks to the text this morning. Here's a new one. I appreciate your thoughtfulness and your educating us, exclamation point. We appreciate our listeners educating us. Text line always, 971-220-5979. You can save it in your phone. So in case we don't do something stupid, in case I say something wrong, you can correct me. Thanks, everybody, Dad. Well, we did it again. We did it again, and we will be back on Thursday. Love you, Pop. Love you, Lance.